Joining me on the show today is a resiliency expert. Now, parents, this is an episode you need to really listen to. You're going to learn so much about how to build resiliency into your kids and why it's so important. Also, if you've been listening for a while, you know that my book, The Girl in the Garage, is coming out soon. And if you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad you're here. If you'd like to know more about my book, you can go to SharonHughes.net forward slash The Girl in the Garage. It is my true story of overcoming trauma and self-worth issues, and it goes hand in hand with this fantastic interview with Sarah Boyd. Okay, let's get started. Grab your pen. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. On the show today is the lovely Sarah Boyd. She is an author of an amazing book that you simply must have in your hands. It's called The Boy Who Stood Up Tall. She holds a master's degree in educational psychology and you need to grab a notebook and a pen because you're going to want to take notes. We are diving into all things resilient. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me today. That was a lovely introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here. And so the audience knows your husband's been on. I think he's episode seven. So now you've got the the amazing power couple, as I'm calling (laughs) you guys now. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Yes, I know. Colin's amazing. So if you haven't listened to his episode already, you need to because he's he gives away amazing, like really tactical, practical points. So he does. Yeah. And and I know you're getting ready to give away amazing tactical points. Yes. So let's, let's jump in. Would sure. you explain just first off what resiliency is so we have a clear foundation for that? For sure. So resilience is a concept that psychologists use and it's really a, an, a, an understanding of someone's ability to bounce back from stress or challenge. Mm-hmm. So we all go through something hard Um, painful, stressful, challenging. Um, And it's someone's ability to come back to a point of mental and emotional functioning. So the way I always explain how resilience works is that we always dip when something horrible happens. I, I always say it's normal to feel sad when something sad happens. It's normal to feel angry when something's made you angry. So we all dip even people who don't display signs of resilience. And what resiliency really is, is kind of a comparative concept to talk about the difference between people who are really struggling with mental illness. And resiliency is kind of that sign of mental and emotional health. And so someone's, um, it's not to say that someone with mental illness isn't resilient because you know, they've got huge strength to be getting through what they're getting through, but Mm -hmm. maybe they need support from professionals and that to get back up to a level of functioning that they feel really confident about in their world. Oh my goodness. What a super important topic, especially when every day we are hearing in the news and on social media, how people are struggling with mental illness or depression. And I know that this conversation is so needed. Your book was specifically written 
to help children. How were you inspired to write that? Yeah, so do you want the long or the short version of my story? (laughs) I want whatever you want to give us. (laughs) My background is in corporate training and psychology. And so I was actually running resilience trainings for people in corporates. And that was my job. When I was 27 years old, I got one of those phone calls that no one ever wants to get. And I got told that I had cancer. And I went through 18 months of a lot of treatment for that. And even though it was physically very grueling, emotionally, it was a real shock to the system because I was in that very young adult, naive, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I've got heaps of time mindset. And all of a sudden, um, I'm in this real confrontation with, you know, my mortality and nothing's, you know, confirmed. And it really sent me into kind of like a big spiral. And thank, thank God, you know, everything went really well with the treatment. I've been seven years cancer free. I'm technically cured, um, which is unbelievable. But I think emotionally, it really set off something in me in terms of just dealing with negative emotions and dark places and feeling I know that season of my life I was very much feeling left behind as I was just resting at home and trying to recover and watching everyone else's life go on ahead of me Um, and I realized just how important this concept is because I've been I was teaching it and I understood it on a logical level but I really had to make it work personally and then when I had my children which happened just after I had finished treatment and everything I it just that process of becoming a mother and just realizing that my children are going to grow up in a very different world than what I grew up in. And social media is just a huge part of their world now. Um, there's more complexity, more choice. And yet these conversations about really important things like genuine connection with people, mental and emotional wellness, when we're often not having enough conversations about these things or we're focusing on other things when I actually think it's what they're going to need even more so moving into the future. And so that's when I birthed kind of this movement, Resilient Little Hearts. And so our like our mission is to equip children with resilience and courage and kindness. And the way that we do that is through story. And that's where we've developed, we're developing a series of children's books and this is our first book. So that's oh. the long version answer. <laughs> Well, congratulations on being cancer-free for seven years. That's um, just a wonderful thing to hear. I'm so happy about that. Yes. Oh my goodness. So, wow, that's so amazing that that journey took you down a different path than I'm sure what you thought. Maybe you thought you were going to stay in corporate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I always talk now um, looking back on it and I, I never felt this way until at least probably two years after I got diagnosed with cancer. But I now genuinely see what I went through with cancer as a gift in my life Mm -hmm. because it it really shook me and unearthed for me because Mm -hmm. on the surface I looked like I had a quote-unquote successful life and, you know, I – we had great marriage and in work wise, I was, you know, corporate trainer and all that kind of stuff, but I was really not doing what I wanted to do. I was really not stepping out of my comfort zone. I felt a drawing to be an entrepreneur. I felt a calling from God to speak into people's lives. And I wasn't doing that at the level that I felt called to do it. And it's because I was telling myself all kinds of stories, like I'll just do it later. I've got lots of time. And then Mm -hmm. this confrontation with, Mm -hmm. you know, my mortality made me realize, Sarah, you don't have this time. And I realized 
that story I was telling myself was just my fear. I was so, so scared of what other people were going to say about me or whether they were going to judge me Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't even give myself permission. And so that's the amazing thing that can come out of incredibly stressful and challenging experiences in our life because they define us in terms of who we are. It's amazing what happens when we work through them that we often discover a new level of purpose and meaning, especially in work that we maybe didn't even experience before. Mm, Gosh, that's so good. Oh my gosh. All right, people, I hope you're taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) So as a a parent, if you have a, a child that you think maybe is struggling a little bit, what are a couple of things that a parent could do to help their child aside from getting her book. You guys, it's yeah. gorgeous. You, you will not believe how beautifully illustrated it is, but how can we help our kids become more resilient and not lay awake all night afraid? Sure. So I think the first thing is for us to really have a healthy picture of what resilience is, because a lot of people think that resilience is this stoic ability to not become emotional or not struggle with things. And that's not what resilience is. Resilience really is a flexibility and it is a a lack of fear around all the emotions. So someone who's resilient could cry a lot or get upset a lot or be angry and still be highly resilient because they're not afraid to feel negative emotions. And Mm -hmm. so that's really important that we have a healthy concept of what we're trying to lead our children towards, because sometimes we just think, oh, if they're scared, they're not going to be resilient. Or if they're Mm -hmm. crying, they're not going to be resilient. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, So resilience is born out of a emotionally and psychologically safe relationship with one adult. Mm. Ideally, we want children to have with that with both of their parents and with their extended family and teachers and coaches. That would be like the ideal situation. But studies have shown that if they've got one adult in their life who is an empathetic support, someone who is always there for them, who can connect with them emotionally, who is just a psychologically safe place for them, mm-hmm. that they will develop significantly higher levels of resilience than other people. Wow. And so sometimes as parents, we think it's just about what we do with our children, but sometimes it's actually about who we are with them. Mm-hmm. And so to not underestimate how we're showing up for them in, in that kind of relationship way. And there's so many different tactic and tactics that I can talk about um, in terms of, and we do, um, if you want to come over and follow us on um, Resilient Little Hearts. We, But one of the things that I always talk about with um, emotions is it's really important that we have a language around emotions. Mm-hmm. There's a part in the brain called, um, I'm going to give you a really big name now. <laughs> it's called the right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex. And neuroscientists have labeled that part of the brain, the brain's braking system. So when they see in brain scans that part of the brain light up, what they notice is the whole stress response in someone's body decreases. And so one of the main strategies that the studies have found that lights up that braking system is being able to language your emotions. 
So just how we feel after having a really great chat with one of our friends and we felt like we got to talk about our feelings and that sense of relief and we feel less stressed than we did before. That's what we're talking about here. And so one of the main strategies that we do like practically for, for parents is to start to increase their child's emotional vocabulary for them to be able to name the emotion that they're feeling and maybe why they're feeling it will do wonders to help equip their children for resilience. Wow. Okay. This is so fascinating because it seems to me that adults need this just as much as children do. Yes. And um, so I'm probably going to skip around a little bit here because I have so many thoughts and I'm writing notes while you're speaking. Um, you know what? I, I just hate it when I hear people say, oh, kids are resilient. They'll be fine. That makes me yes. crazy. Yes, I totally agree with you. It makes me angry as well. <laughs> so speaking from my past, um, overcoming a lot of trauma and just a lot of things that happened when I was a child, I think that I was probably labeled as you'll be fine. You're, you'll, you're yeah. a kid, you're resilient. But it was, it was really, really difficult to overcome. Yeah. And there wasn't the safe person like you described. Like you've got that one person that you could, as we were adults, say, I could be my authentic self. Like mm. if you were my best girlfriend, I would be like, oh, I could tell Sarah anything. I can mm. just be myself. So yeah. I think that, yeah, adults need that just as much as the kids do. But yeah, kids even I, more. I love that you bring that up because so many times we see adults. Mm -hmm. And they come in and they've had a, a very traumatic childhood. But the way that they've coped with that and survived in that is to become a high achieving, responsibility taking individual. So on the surface, there's so many people out there that don't even look like they are hurting internally. Mm -hmm. But what happens in a child because... And this is hard to understand sometimes when someone hasn't been through it, but what happens in a child psychologically is when there's not emotional safety with parents and when they, it's a traumatic experience for them, either um, from the parents or do they go through something else, um, the, the parent is the child's only lifeline. It's the, the parent is their only survival. So they have to work out how to psychologically survive within that environment. No one's thinking, oh, I'm going to leave home when they're eight years old. Like right. that's just the whole world. And so we kind of start functioning and that's exactly what you were saying there where people just say kids are resilient. They're actually not. Just because they look like they're, you know, staying in school and being well behaved doesn't necessarily mean that they're healthily coping with the stresses that are happening to them. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's really important that we redefine what resilience actually looks like because a healthy right. processing of negative emotions is actually more resilience than not feeling emotions at all. Oh, that's so interesting. And it reminds me of a couple of weeks ago, I had Garrett Lowe on. He's a next-gen pastor. And we talked about how kids are turning to numbing out so they don't feel anything or they get so numbed by the environment that they're in. Now they're cutting so they can feel something. Mm, it's so true. And I think we spoke about earlier, but the, I saw the other day that the World Health Organization is predicting that in the next few years, depression is going to become the leading cause of disability worldwide. Mm. And what's crazy about that is for it to become a disability, the level of depression that someone's experiencing means that they cannot function in everyday activities. Mm. And so that's just scary because we've got this whole generation of kids growing up with 
more opportunities and more exposure to information than they've ever had. And, you know, this is like an amazing age. And I do believe that those things can be really positive in their life. If we also equip them, this generation, they're craving connection and authenticity Mm -hmm. and just that realness, because it doesn't matter how much success, achievement, um, numbers, likes, follows, all of that sort of stuff. it, It doesn't ever take the place of a face-to-face human connection with another person mm-hmm. and the vulnerability and the, of an empathetic relationship and the safety right. of that. Yeah. Well, I know that just like in the faith-based community, I've heard so often that God created us for community and for that human connection. So if you, if the listeners are subscribing to that, they would probably say, yeah, you know, I have like my small group or something like that. Mm -hmm. But what do people turn to that don't have that kind of community? I think this is why our bars are busy is people go to the bars because they know other people are in the bar. There's got to be somebody to connect with and talk to, but then we're sitting and we're drinking alcohol and probably starting a whole nother pattern of unhealthy behavior. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think social media is the same. What people are actually craving is connection Yeah, and they're wanting, and, but it's, it's the, what social media can be is the beginning of an actual connection. Um, a lot of times people allowing it to be the end result. And so you're totally right um, in terms of like making sure that we're looking for the relationships in the right places and making Mm -hmm. sure that the people that we're opening up to are trustworthy in that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So could you maybe paint a picture for the parents that have a child that they're just not sure, like what would be some things to look for so that we don't just go, Oh, they're just being kids. Oh, he just, you know, is shy, something like that. In terms of their behavior, in terms of yeah. being worried, worried about yeah. where they're up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. um, I think it depends on the personality of the child and it's, it is a very individual thing. So I know that a lot of parents, you kind of have a sense if you were to, the best thing for parents is there's so much stress in nowadays and there's so much expectation and so your work your most people are working outside of the home if not even being inside of the home is a full-time job and sometimes it's actually just a moment of putting some time aside to actually sit and have an intentional thought about is is my child doing okay or do I feel like something's a bit off and Mm -hmm. so obvious patterns that become something to have a think about is is if the behavior is getting a lot more aggressive than it used to be, if the child is isolating themselves, mm-hmm. um, if there is like, an, and it's hard to, to give blanket statements, especially mm-hmm. as, you know, are we dealing with a four-year-old or a 14-year-old? Right. But, <laughs> um, but if they're basically just becoming a change in how they're showing up on a regular basis, um, if they're becoming a lot more withdrawn or you're noticing, um, even like OCD kind of tendencies, it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be all the way on the spectrum of like a diagnosable thing, but you just notice that there's becoming some compulsive activities mm-hmm. there. But, you know, if we, if we talk about parents with adolescents, if they're escaping into social media for hours and hours at a time or video games, or all that kind of stuff, or if there's this whole kind of world that you're unaware of, they, mm-hmm. that would be a moment where I would take, take, a, take stock and think, okay, like maybe I need to have a chat with them and start kind of a deeper level of connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so many things that kids could be holding in could be coming out in those those ways. 
my youngest son is a junior in high school and he he tells me a lot of what's going on at school he's had two classmates get pregnant and deliver babies and i go oh my goodness you know they're they're babies having babies yeah and how are they going to navigate what does their life look like and my son tends to be the guy that all the girls go to for advice yeah so, <laughs> i'm trying to equip him well <laughs> but that's so great like the the fact that he's still talking to you is is a huge thing. And I think there is actually, sometimes we freak out about as parents where we begin to notice like, oh my gosh, there's an issue. But there's a lot that can be resolved by just some additional attention and additional connection between the parent and the child. Even before you have to consider like, do we maybe need to go and see a therapist or a psychologist? Mm -hmm. um, I would always advise parents, first step of call is to just give additional time quality time attention time and try and can and open up more conversations with your child because it's actually amazing sometimes how much children decompress when they think oh I'm actually the center of attention and you know I've got very young children my son um, is six and my daughter's four but I know sometimes you know my husband and I both run we run businesses we're very busy sometimes it's been a a busy time of work, one thing I'm intentional about doing is taking them away one by one mm -hmm. and just giving them that attention. It's amazing. I can think that I was on top of everything that was happening in their world. And all of a sudden, as I start chatting during that time, I'm like, oh, there's stuff that's gone on that I didn't even know about. Um, and so just that connection is just really invaluable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I've observed just so much throughout my life is that parents that are so busy trying to keep up with the Joneses, as we say, you know, working overtime, and then they're running around because they're grabbing kids and they're taking them to sports practice and just all those kind of things, but they're not having meaningful conversation even while they're in the car, which that was always my thing. If I'm taking my kids somewhere, it was, we have a rule that you can't be on social media while you're in the car, unless yeah. we're on a road trip and you're just hours and hours sitting there sure. and you need to be amused. But you just use that time instead of just being tuned out. Because sometimes I think kids kids are desperately wanting that attention, but the mm -hmm. parents are the ones that are tuned out and are not paying attention because they're like, they've got that boss and that deadline and they've got to do that, that, that and the laundry and get the milk. Yes. No, I completely yeah. agree because what happens in the brain, like we talk about how important empathy is in, in a relationship between a parent and child, but empathy, this empathy circuits in the brain shut down when you're personally under stress. Mm -hmm. So so think about yourself. Like I know for myself, if I'm having a really stressful day, like I'm not, if the person in front of me at the grocery store is being really, you know, slow, I'm getting really frustrated. Like I'm not having that extra level of compassion and like, Oh, mm -hmm. maybe they've had a hard day or whatever it is. And so the same thing happens with our children is that in particular, when we're stressed in our lives and doing a lot with work and all the hundreds of jobs it takes to run a home. Um, mm -hmm. And especially too, if they're having challenging behavior on top of that, it's just building the stress in, in the adult. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with what you're saying. I think there is something in our society where we tell ourselves 
oh, we're doing this for our children. We're doing this to give our children a better life. And I know in some situations that 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 is true, but I think in many situations we have to admit to ourselves, I'm not just doing this for my children. I'm actually doing this because I want to do this. And that's not Mm -hmm. something that's bad, but it's just Mm -hmm. something to be aware of. My philosophy always is, is that it's not my children shouldn't have to sacrifice because of my ambition or my dreams or whatever part of my role in their life no one else can be their mother and Mm -hmm. you know for Colin no one else can be their father and as much as I have all these things that I want to do with my life and know I will do I have to pull myself into check sometimes and pull that ambition into check sometimes and say hang on a second like are you showing up the way that you need to for your children Oh gosh. I know parents are probably going to drive home listening to the podcast and they're going to cry all the way home. Well, God bless you. <laughs> that, that was the plan here. Was yeah. That people will really have that, that wake up call of, we can't keep doing this. Yeah. It's just too costly. As I know my kids range from 17 to 32. I look back and they were all wearing footed pajamas like three weeks ago, I swear. I don't yeah. know how it went that fast, but I actually feel like I didn't accomplish everything as a mother that I wanted to when they were smaller. Because mm. it's just so fast and you are you know, busy doing all the things that you think yeah. you're supposed to be doing. It's almost like you realize when you get older that, oh, I didn't really need to do all those things. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes back again to to yeah. just taking that moment and asking yourself the right questions. You know, am mm-hmm. I just comparing myself to what it looks like everyone else has online or, yeah. or the lady down the street who has the perfect house, who's always clean and tidy and whose car doesn't have Cheerios all over the seat. <laughs> just putting my hand up there, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I get it because people say social media is a highlight reel and, and I get it. Like, I don't think it should be the place where we've vulnerability, sorry, vulnerably vent all of our, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff that's going on, but we need to use social media in that way and understand like we're looking at the best parts of their life in a curated feed in that way. People's real life is real life. Everyone's Mm -hmm. struggling. Everyone's struggling with their parenting. Everyone's struggling to hold something together. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got something going on and we need to be more compassionate to ourselves in that way as well. I think. Oh, I love that. I love that. Beautifully said. Okay. I'm going to read something that you wrote. I'm going to try not to choke up. You wrote, it's called the seed. Not everyone can see a tree within a seed. Not everyone can handle the vision and dream when it only looks like an invisible idea. Some will laugh at it. Some will discourage it and some will judge it. And none of that will matter unless you allow it to matter. When I read that earlier and I got to that last line, none of that will matter unless you let it to matter. I, I'm a softie. Like I was breaking <laughs> tears. I was like, oh my gosh, are you inside my head? How? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I write, um, I write when I write, I write with people in mind and a lot of the words that I write particularly on my personal and um, my quote-unquote cereboid <laughs> channels, um, are really to visionary women. And I think that's probably why you resonate with it, Sharon, is because I think sometimes um, for, I mean, men and women, when there's something that God gives you, it always comes in a seed form, whether it's an idea 
or an urge or just a sense of having to do something. And I think at the very beginning is where we can allow it to drift off into nothing at the beginning. Or we can just allow everyone else's opinions, which has been my journey, <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to cage us and to not actually take steps towards what that thing is. But it is actually a seed and it can grow into something beautiful if we give it this sacred place in order to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the the illustration of really how a seed has to go into the dark, damp earth in the darkness, like it's, it's darker than dark, right? And be hidden away and then sprout. And when we're in those moments, when we feel like we're personally in the darkest dark of the dark, (laughs) hidden away, it's so painful. Yes. You don't, you don't realize that roots are going to take place and that you're going to shoot above Yes. And it's really easy. I think that the the most challenging part in those seasons is to hold perspective Mm because you lose it. You lose perspective when you're in pain, Mm -hmm. um, emotional or physical pain. Uh, You lose the perspective of you even forget what life was like before the pain Mm -hmm. and your struggle to imagine what life, like what could life be like if it was good or what could life, that becomes a struggle because the darkness often feels like it's pushing but if if you can hold that conviction in your heart that you know whether or not you can imagine it whether or not you know exactly how it will look or feel or sound but it will get better and I will get through this and this season will end Mm -hmm. that's when you can hold the perseverance I think it takes to hold on in those seasons because they do end I, I know that I went through a five or six year period of health you know diagnosis even after cancer one after the other during a season of young children. And I got to a point where I thought, I don't think this is ever going to end for me. I'm starting mm-hmm. to think if this is my, like just my life that, that, mm-hmm. and then it did end. And I thought, oh my goodness, imagine if I had just resolved myself to just stay in that season of my life and that mindset. Thank God that I held on for something greater. Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a picture also of what entrepreneurship can look like for people when they're trying to birth something and yes. they think it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. And then they give up so often when if they had stuck with it. Yes. Yeah. Helen and I always talk about, because, um, you know, we, we love, we're both entrepreneurs, so we, we're both lit up about this topic, but it really does take like three years of working at something to see almost any consistent growth. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that comes when it comes to um, anything you launch, not just the whole package of the business, but every offering, every kind of new thing that you're doing to connect with people, you really have to give it years. And I think maybe 10 or 20 years ago, we had that patience of like, of course it would take that long. Three years is not that long, but now three years in our fast moving world feels like a lifetime. And so people start something and they do it for three months, six months. It's not working. It doesn't work for any of us at that point, but they give up. And so many times people are holding something in their hand that could actually be successful, but they gave up too early. Yeah. How long did it take you from the idea for your book to actually having the printed copies in your hand? Uh, three years. Did it really? <laughs> well, Lucky number three. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I um, wrote and I have also got other books that I've written. So they were all written years before, but, but probably from the time that I pressed go on 
Um, we hired an illustrator, all that kind of stuff. It was a good 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually just been, had the book picked up by a publisher as well. Mm-hmm. So, which is really cool. Um, at the end of the year, we're going to be having a paperback version all across. Um, it's actually internationally, but it will be um, everywhere where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, all of those ones. I love um, it. And yeah, but yes, it took like 18 months of work uh, just from start to finish. Wow. Even after the manuscript was written. <laughs> it, it is a lot of work, but it's just beautiful. What a labor of love. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just thrilled that you were able to take some time and come and share your journey and your words of wisdom. I mean, they resonate so strongly with me. Oh, thank you so much, Sharon. I've really enjoyed chatting because it's just amazing connecting with other people who are doing beautiful work in the world to encourage and equip other people. Oh, thank you. Um, I think you're also available for speaking as well. Is that correct? Yes, I do a little bit. Yes, maybe just come over to my um, social media channels. I'm just on Facebook or Instagram as Sarah Boyd. Um, I do do a little bit of speaking, mostly faith-based speaking um, and like non-for-profit. But um, yeah, come over and find me. Oh, awesome. I will have that linked up below in the show notes as well as the link where you can find the boy who stood up tall. And you also have some other downloadables from your website for parents, right? Yes, we've got a lot of free resources at resilientlittlehearts.com. Um, and I can give you the, the links in the show notes. We've got a lot of free guides on how to help your child with fear and anxiety or if you're raising a highly sensitive child, all of those kinds of things. Um, come over and find us there as well. Perfect. Okay, I will definitely have that linked. You're welcome to come back anytime. Always an open mic for you, you. Sarah. (laughs) You're so kind. Thank you so much, Sharon. If there's ever been a time that we needed to sit up and take stock of our lives and our children's lives, I believe it's now. I have everything linked for you below in the show notes. And please share this content out with other parents in your community. This is such a valuable conversation that we really need to have. And thank you so much for being here. Once again, friends, until next time, I wish you every good thing.